Uh, just, just while we get going, Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 25 says, The Lord brought out his arsenal. It is the only team mentioned in Scripture, and if you're a Bible-believing church, I suggest you go there. The red devil is what we're due to avoid. That's all I can say. Uh, my wife Nikki's here with me. Could you? I, th I just thought it'd be nice for her to come out and to say just a little bit about our family. As uh, just before I get started, uh, I will be preaching from the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to get to Mark five. But uh, Nikki's with me. We're on sabbatical, and I just thought it'd be nice for her to introduce our family. Just say a moment about the church. Yeah. Good morning, One Tribe. It is fantastic to be with you this morning. Um, Pete and I have been married for 31 years. We've actually celebrated our uh, anniversary a couple of weeks ago while we've been away, while we were in Madagascar, so that was exciting. And uh, we have three children, they're all grown up. Uh, this is our daughter's, uh, our daughter Lois, she got married last year to Josh, who's standing next to me. In fact, Tash helped serve at the wedding as well, so it was brilliant having her with us. Um, that's my, on the left side of Pete, uh, that's Josh, our son, and his wife, Esther. They got married a couple of years ago, and they are going to give us a grandchild this October. So we're going to be grandparents, which is really exciting. And then next to me is uh, our youngest son, Isaac, who lives at home with us still. So they are all part of the church with us, so it is fantastic serving God together as a family. So, um, yeah, that's us. Thanks ever so much, Nick. Benisi uh, didn't actually admit that he ran the half marathon in Ealing. So if you have a half marathon lined up here in Nairobi, I'm sure he'd uh, be willing to do it. They were a brilliant family that really blessed us. Tash not only helped at our daughter's wedding, we do a youth event called New Day. So you might have heard of it, it's about 8,000 teenagers that gather together in England. And uh, she didn't cook for all of those, but she cooked for our whole church that went there, which was amazing. And their three kids all took part in our Christmas service. So we are so blessed to have them with us. Hopefully now we're going to get to the Bible. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. Jesus raises a dead girl and heals a sick woman. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman who was there, who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. 
Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she would free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? Do you see the people crowding around you? The disciples answered. And yet you can say, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what happened to her, came up and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher any more? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him, and he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Many of you would have heard this story, I'm sure, many, many times. But God, we ask that you would speak to us again. We we don't come just to have our, our heads filled. We want our hearts expanded and our hands to be inspired by you. Lord, as we look at your word, would you change us, challenge us, and give us the courage to obey whatever you say. Amen. Yeah, I live in London. I love it. Look, I'm really enjoying Nairobi, I've got to be honest. I've been to a coffee plantation. I've been to a tea plantation. I've seen giraffes, and I can't wait to see the elephants. But actually, London's a pretty good city as well, and I invite you to come to London. I am British, and in case you don't know, we have a new king. His name is King Charles. I have never met him. I've never spoken to him. I've never been in the same room as him. I I pay him taxes every month, but he's never even addressed me. Sometimes I think we approach God like that king. He is out there somewhere, and I know of him, but I'm not sure if he really knows me. Whereas when I think we look at a story like this, we encounter a God who wants a personal touch. And we don't come as a church today to think, oh, there's a God up there in heaven somewhere 
that I know is sat upon the throne. We come to a God who wants to have a personal touch with you. The Gospel of Mark is my favorite. I don't know if you're new here today. Maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian. You're just looking. I would tell you if there's one book of the Bible to start reading, it would be the Gospel of Mark. It's fast-paced. It's action. The word immediately happens, I think, 43 times, and there's only 16 chapters. The guy Mark has written it. We think he relied upon a guy called Peter, but the ultimate hero is Jesus Christ. The disciples in Mark are called to follow Jesus. Jesus is this incredible teacher. He is an amazing miracle worker. And then we get to this passage that we're looking at today in Mark. And in some respects, if we had longer, we could look at the whole context. Because at the end of Mark 4, we see that Jesus calms a storm. The fishermen are in a boat, but suddenly there's this disaster that happens because they, they, they can't get anywhere. And there's these huge waves and these winds, and they're thinking, oh, what's going to happen? And Jesus sorts out the disaster. Wow, suddenly their eyes are opened. And then as soon as they get out of the boat, this madman comes running up to Jesus. I mean, this, this was a guy that they chained. They could do nothing for him. He was demonized. But what we discover is that Jesus sets the demonized free. And then we go straight from that to he then, having proved that he's better than disasters, that he overcomes demons, we then get this, this occasion with this woman who's had a disease for 12 years. I don't know about you, COVID seems years ago to me now. That was only about three years ago. What was I doing 12 years ago? This person has suffered for 12 years with this disease, and Jesus is able to heal the disease. And then we end up with this sort of final story. The child dies, and Jesus is greater than death. I love it when we're breaking bread together this morning. We've been singing about this great Jesus. And then there's all these symbols, but this is how much he loves us. And then what we do is we come to a passage like this and we realize we don't just sing about him. We just don't remember symbols of him. This is the Jesus that wants to touch us. And I want us to come with this great view of Jesus this morning. I wish I could do all four stories. I wish I could talk about the disaster, the demonic, the diseased, and death. But I'm just going to focus on the two that we read about. I don't know if you're aware. I haven't seen many of these around Nairobi. The sandwich, I thought, was invented by the English. Sandwich, two bits of bread, some meat in between. Apparently, the story goes that in 1762... An Englishman invented the sandwich because he was so busy playing games. You think your kids have got a screen problem. This guy was so busy playing games that he says to his servant, just bring me something to eat because I cannot stop. And he put a bit of meat between two bits of bread and handed it to him. The guy's name was the Earl of Sandwich, and apparently that's how we get the sandwich. I thought the English has invented it, but then when I read Mark... I would like to suggest that the 
the diseased lady and the death of the child is a biblical sandwich. And that actually you cannot separate one from the other. Why did I read both? Because actually I think they are interwoven. There was an English theologian, a guy called Tom Wright. He says this, the flavor of the outer story adds zest to the inner one. The taste of the inner one is meant in turn to permeate the outer one. And so this morning, here is an Englishman trying to talk about this biblical sandwich of these two stories and what can we learn. The first thing I want to look at is what kind of lives does Jesus touch? On the one level, these two stories are very, very similar. Both involve women. You've got the lady and you've got the girl who's 12. Both have a 12-year association. The one has suffered for 12 years. The other one has been alive for 12 years. Both involve accounts of people who fall at the feet of Jesus. So stories are very similar. Both are interruptions on the life of Jesus. So they both interrupt Jesus. Both are desperate. The father, can you imagine it? If your, your child is ill, he's desperate. I mean, he was a Jew. He was in the synagogue. He's desperate. The woman is desperate. Both receive an instant healing. It's not like, oh, it takes time. I think it will happen. And both receive a touch from Jesus. And yet, on the other level, these stories are totally different. One is a man who comes and asks for the miracle, and the other one is a woman. One is rich, he's, he's got money, and the other one has not. We know that she's spent it all on trying to get healed. One has influence and prestige because he was involved in the synagogue, and the other one does not. One has a name, Jairus. The other one does not. One would have been respected by society. The other one was an outcast that shouldn't mingle with society. One was considered important and the other one was considered in those days useless. One approaches from the front of Jesus and the other one creeps up behind. One is private. The other is public. I don't know who you are today. But what I do know is whichever extreme you would consider yourself from society, both can receive a touch from Jesus. But before I look at the touch, my bigger challenge probably for many of us, and I include myself in this, is those that were almost touched by Jesus. Those that were almost touched by Jesus. It, it tells us in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered. There was a huge crowd. Now, look, I can see you guys are an active bunch. And, and I used to be a primary school teacher. You know, I'd really like to get you all up and just pretend you were the crowd milling around and I could just walk through the middle. And what you'd suddenly realize is only a couple of people seem to get the touch. 
I guess if you'd been part of the crowd that day, you could have put it on Instagram, couldn't you? I was there. You might have stuck it on Facebook. I saw the miracle. But you never had a touch. And sometimes that, that worries me about church. We could get a crowd in church who think, well, I was there, but I never had a touch from Jesus. You think, well, I was following along with everybody else. And when they said, oh, about whatever's going on, you've got to walk on Saturday. I, went, I was there, but I never quite had a personal touch of Jesus. That, to me, seems the tragedy of an event like this. If you're a parent, you will know God has no grandchildren. I, I delight that my three kids are all in church with us. But actually, they've got to have their own touch of God. They cannot rely upon their dads. I don't know, maybe you're married to someone who's a Christian. Maybe your parents encourage you to go to church. Look, people in England don't go to church very much. But I was raised by a family that we went three times on a Sunday. Sunday school was before the morning meeting and there was an evening meeting. But hey, I don't want you guys just to think, hey, we all go to church on a Sunday. But we don't actually know God. In fact, I find it even more disturbing in this, the disciples. In verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you say, who touched me? It's almost like the disciples knew Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. The disciples were close to Jesus, but they had no idea of his power and his ability to do something. And I sometimes think, Oh, would that be me? I always sit in the front row at our church. People say to me, we planted a church 10 years ago in London. It's called Redeemer. And I've always sat in the front row. And people say, why don't you sit at the back? I said, I probably suffer from ADHD. I just get distracted by everybody that's moving around. And I said, I've also believed the anointed spit is in the front row. You know what I'm saying? So I'm, ju I'm just an enthusiast. I'm keen. I'd like to feel I was a disciple. I, uh, my name is Peter. I'd like to feel I'd have been right close there. But do I, do, not, do I not even see how much power Jesus has got? Do I not understand him? Because the disciples didn't. What we discover as well is that Jesus has this touch, but it costs him. Verse 30 says, at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? The healing of this person cost Jesus something. It wasn't, and, and one commentary that I read trying to prepare for this said Jesus was weakened by it, that power had gone out. Now, I don't quite know how I feel about any kind of term describing Jesus as weak, but actually the fact that it had cost him something. It wasn't just that, oh, it, it cost me nothing. I just move on. We know that that's why we've celebrated breaking bread. We know that ultimately, a touch of God cost Jesus going to the cross. For God to be able to touch us, we read in Isaiah 53, surely he took up 
our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. For us to know a touch of God has cost Jesus something. I told you I used to be a school teacher. I've actually been a pastor for 27 years, and this is my first sabbatical. We're on a three-month sabbatical. And to be honest, um, we were in Madagascar for two weeks, and then we're with this church for three weeks. We're around and in Kenya, because I felt I could learn loads from the church in Africa. One thing I've got to confess, though, I am not a medic. I used to be a school teacher. First aid just scares me. Now, I would ask all of you that is a medic, who should you treat first? Do you treat a woman that's been ill for 12 years, or do you first go to the little girl who's about to die? It's a dilemma. Medics, I, I should have asked Benisi this, shouldn't I? Yeah, which, which one would you treat first? Hey, hey, look, she's been suffering for a long time. I could probably ignore her. You know what? I think 12 years, one hour, we might be okay. <laughs> but I'm not sure that this girl's got another hour. I would go there first. And yet we discover here that this woman who's suffered for a long time, she gets healed. And then what does Jesus do? He keeps looking around to see who's done it. Our silence is awkward, isn't it? How long do we wait? Come on, who touched me? If this was a British crowd, nobody would put their hand up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nobody steps forward, we all step back. There you go, it's that one. I mean, the reality is, we don't know how long he waited. Come on, who touched me? Somebody touch me. I mean, even the, even the disciples are getting a little bit of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, look, there's a huge crowd here. You know what I'm saying? Somebody touch you. <laughs> Don't like to say it. I think you're having an off day. We've all been touching you. But Jesus holds it, doesn't he? You see, in those days, there was the idea that your glory could be in, in what you wore. Now, you might think, what a weird concept. Sometimes I think that's what drives fashion today. We suddenly think, what I wear shows people how great I am. We know this from the book of Acts. Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchief and aprons that touched him, the handkerchiefs were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. So why did Jesus wait? Why did he take so long when there's a, a dying girl? I would like to suggest this, that the woman thought, I've tried everything. I'll just try and see if I can get any glory off his clothing. One commentator, a guy called William Lane, says this, it was the grasp of her faith rather than a hand that secured what she sought. 
You see, I find it interesting because she wanted something from Jesus. And he wanted someone. He, he could have said, hey, you've had your miracle. That's it. I'm moving on. I've got other things to do. I, I find that hugely challenging. Do I want something specific from Jesus or do I want to know him? I think Jesus stopped so long because you've had your healing. I know power's gone. I know something's happened, but I've got a task to do. But Jesus stops because he says, you know what? There's someone here that needs a personal encounter. He is much more about the intimacy. Another commentator said a very similar thing, an Indian professor of New Testament, Dexter. He did not regard her action as an interruption, but as faith in action. If we had longer, we could look at Mark 2 and Mark 3, where there's a separating between the physical and the spiritual. You see, physically, she was freed from her suffering. But spiritually, after she encounters Jesus, she goes in peace. Jesus didn't just want her to have a physical healing. He wanted her to have spiritual peace. How can I push this point quite so hard? What's her name? We don't know. So what does he call her? Daughter. That was intimacy. This was a woman who'd been pushed out of society for 12 years because she'd been bleeding. And what does Jesus say to her? Daughter. Uh, in my own church, people uh, fact check me while I'm preaching. I hope you don't have that kind of doubt here. <laughs> I cannot think of another instance where Jesus called someone daughter. But this woman who's been ostracized for 12 years, he suddenly says, daughter, the one who's been isolated, he draws close. You see, ultimately, the gospel is not just that the guilty go free. The gospel surely is that the lonely join a family, which is why next Sunday is so important. Hey, why, why would you get here at 9 o'clock an hour before everyone else? Because the gospel is not my sin has been dealt with. My gospel is that I'm joined to the tribe here. The picture of the gospel, if only we had longer to look at it, the nobody has become a somebody. That's surely what we find here. Jason Muir, in his commentary, he says, faith brings more than the gift of healing it brings the gift of identity. So this woman who has now been saved, she hasn't just been healed, she's actually been adopted. She's part of the family. Okay, I want to ask us a question. I do want us to pray. I mustn't speak too long. Do you still believe for a touch from Jesus? That is the question we're left here. All this time, while this woman, this old woman, is, has come forward and, and that, imagine being Jairus. Imagine it. I mean, I'd, I'd be there thinking, come on, Jesus. <laughs> She's done. She's got it. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> My girl's not well. You said you were coming with me. 
She's jumped the queue. It was my turn. Can you imagine that must have been what it was like? And then what do the friends say? Friends come with bad news. They don't say, hey, Jairus, keep on in there. Get the healer here because we're in trouble. They say, he's just a teacher. They undermine who Jesus is. They say, don't bother the teacher, the talker, anymore because your daughter has died. So what does Jesus do? He says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. How often do we give in to fear? Time is running out. I feel it's run out. And I've run to fear. Where it's actually Jesus in the story says, look, if you want a touch, just believe. Just believe. The vice chancellor of the School of Theology here in Kenya says this, fear is the foe of faith. When one turns to God, he gives hope where things are utterly hopeless and helpless. Jesus then comes and declares, hey, the girl is asleep. I mean, he knows she's dead, but he is so confident that he can wake her. Jesus casts out the professional mourners. It, it, many have said that even when he wakes her, it would almost been like the mother would have gone that day and sort of gently said, daughter, it's time to get up. That is the kind of touch that we have. We're now going on to a touch like no other. Jesus has broken all the taboos. It was thought in those days that disease could contaminate, death could contaminate. You had to go ceremonially wash if you touched a bed where someone had died. But Jesus is so powerful, he makes the unclean clean. Jesus is stronger than the demonic. Jesus is stronger than the disease. Jesus is stronger than death. Jesus, Rearsby says in his commentary, is the master of every situation and the conqueror of every enemy. You see, we come out of this story, not with our eyes surely on the two women, but on this Jesus. We should leave church with our eyes fixed upon Jesus, thinking, how great is our God? That's why we love it, don't we, when these people serve us in worship, because they help lift up our eyes and we say, oh, Jesus. I, I, I tell you, I love coming to church because my eyes get down throughout the week. Oh, golly, what's happening? How's it all going to work? And then when I worship with others, I think, oh, Jesus. That's what we sing about here, isn't it? Stuart Blanche, in his uh, book, Encounters with Jesus, says, If as we believe God, the creator of the universe, and the Lord of history, is in Christ, then we are right not to be surprised when things happen which transcend what we like to call normal and defeat our effort to explain them. Do you still believe in that kind of Jesus? Our danger in London is we've sanitized Jesus. We've turned him into good management, good technique. Here's five points to make your marriage better. 
Here's six points to make your finances go further. But when we look at a story like this, we are blown away. Jesus exercised the demon that nobody else could do is why they chained him up. Jesus healed a woman that no one else could cure. Okay, if we could jump to the the picture. A year ago, Nikki and I, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary, and we went and did a, a pilgrimage in Palestine and Israel. And we were in what was considered a a very old synagogue, and they had this painting on the wall. And this painting is meant to depict this story. You could just about see, amongst all the sort of dirty feet and the crowd, this one hand pointing through, could I possibly touch the hem of his garment? I want that to be the challenge for us this morning. I don't know what the crowd is for you. I don't know if it's, well, I was here last week, and I was, uh, the preacher told us everyone comes here for money. That's why we're in the city. Is that the crowd in your life that stops you reaching out and touching Jesus? Is it, hey, we've got experiences. I tell you, I went to the tea plantation. I had a four-course lunch on the lawn. Man alive, that was to die for. Does that stop me reaching out and touching Jesus? This story should challenge us. Hey, we want a touch of God. We don't come to the King of England who's off there distant doing his own thing. We come to a God who wants to touch us. I'm going to finish with this quote, and we are going to pray. Tim Tim Keller, I know he recently passed away, said this, Often the question is not, do we have too little faith, but do we have too much pride? Is it this morning that you think, oh, well, I'd love to touch Jesus, but I can't believe, or if we're really honest, is it we don't touch Jesus because we're too proud? Hey, I can do it by myself. I could work it out. I could resolve this. My wife is a real tennis fan. Probably about 15 years ago, she managed to shake the hand of Djokovic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she's not washed her hand for 15 years. No, see, it's funny, isn't it? Because it was a one-time touch. He doesn't remember her. He's never spoken to her. Yesterday, we went for a walk around the local forest here. We did the green walk. Is it 15 kilometers? And I held her hand the whole time. Now, I want to ask you, do you approach God like Djokovic? It was a one-time touch? Or are you really in to hold his hand every step of every way. I I don't believe that this is, we come to God and say, oh, it's a one-time touch. Hey, I I gave my life to Jesus 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I, I touched him. By his grace, he touched me. Or is it, actually, you know what? I feel I hold his hand every day. I want a touch of him now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to encourage you, if you want to touch, don't let pride hold you back. 
Do you feel you've got anything to say? Okay, just come up, bring any words you've got. Yeah, it's great. I believe that God wants to encounter each one of us today. But um, when I was just thinking about the meeting this morning, there were some people in particular that um, I believe that God wants to meet with you, and I'd be really happy to pray for you. Uh, One is somebody who is just absolutely engulfed in guilt. It's like you feel like this cloud of guilt, uh, not guilt, sorry, uh, of grief. Sorry, I said that wrong. This cloud of grief. It's, uh, it's like you cannot see anything beyond this grief. I don't know if you've lost a family member recently um, or a dear friend, but it's this grief that is just so encompassing you that uh, you can't do anything else. Uh, also, someone who's been really disappointed by a relationship. Uh, even this week, I feel like someone has really hurt you and let you down and you're really struggling. And, you know, we know the enemy brings uh, disunity as a major weapon to bring division in his church. And I'd love to pray for you if that is you. And uh, one other thing, someone just feels like this year they've just been soaring in life. It's just been going so well. And then it feels like you've just hit a brick wall. I don't know if it's some health news, but you just feel so broken and you think, I just don't know if I can get up and fly again. So if any of those words um, connect with you, I'd love to pray for you. Or indeed, if you've lost faith for your kids. I know we were like praying for the kids earlier. We really believe the kids are going to take the gospel to the next generation. And if you've lost faith for your kids, uh, for God working in their lives, then I'd love to pray for you as well. So we believe God is here to touch people, don't we? I don't know if you have a prayer team here. I, I think it'd be great for us to pray for any of the sick today. We don't want to read two stories like this and just say, oh, well, that was good, that was then. If you would like a touch from God, I'm just going to encourage you to stand where you are and put your hands out and say, Jesus, would you please touch me? You want a fresh touch. You think, I want to walk hand in hand with him. Jesus, we do stand before you now and say, we want a touch from you. Jesus, I don't want to settle for second-hand religion. I don't just want to be part of a crowd that, oh, you, you went past one day and I saw what you did. I, I want a personal encounter with you. Lord, I long for it this morning, but I long for it tomorrow. I long for a living, intimate relationship with Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone who stood, all who stood now. Let them know a living touch from God. Lord, whether it's one of these words that Nikki's brought and we want to pray for them, whether it's someone that's sick and we want to pray for them, whether it's someone who just comes and says, Jesus, I long to know you. I long to know you deeper. I don't just want to be a part of God. I don't just want to be a, a misinformed disciple. Instead, I come this morning and say, Jesus, please touch me. The most important thing that will happen to me this day, a touch from Jesus. Come by your Holy Spirit and touch everyone who's responded for your glory. Amen.